getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrell. They've got you covered on all the news of the day. From local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard. To listen. And where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. South Coast tonight. I'm Marcus. Chris is just getting settled in. We're joined by State Rep Chris Markey. Um, and we've got a packed show tonight before we get to Rep Markey. We've got a really packed show tonight. We've got uh, Andrea Campbell calling in. We've got Shanelis Rudin calling in. That primary is getting really heated. We've got Chris Dempsey calling in, candidate for auditor. We've got uh, Kim Driscoll calling in. And perhaps more, um, perhaps more. I've been in contact with a few campaigns, so we've got a lot of candidates calling in throughout the uh, throughout the show from eight, between eight and ten. But between seven and eight, we're joined by Dartmouth Representative Chris Markey. Hey, Chris, how are you? Good. How are you, Marcus? Good. Um, so you've been uh, a rep in uh, you've been a rep of the Ninth Bristol District since uh, 2011, um, succeeding John Quinn. Um, why did you decide to run for re-election? Well, I think there's one thing is I love doing the job. I like helping people. I found that uh, it's been rewarding and every day is a new challenge. I was saying to someone the other day, uh, one of the big things going on in Dartmouth and actually throughout the Commonwealth is um, deer are eating all the plants and the vegetables and the, the corn and everything else. And I've been working for a couple of weeks with a local farmer trying to w- find a way that they could shoot the deer in order to save um, their corn mostly, but some lettuce and other things. And they've described it as an epidemic in the agricultural world in Massachusetts. Um, some estimate it's about $4 million in lost product uh, as a result of the deer eating. And then I decided that I needed to call the Fish and Game Wildlife I spent uh, half an hour learning what the problem was, and um, I'm going to start working on that. It's a huge problem with the expansion of suburbia into the farming industry, into the farming world. The houses are too close to the farms. Right. So you can't shoot a shotgun within 500 feet of a building. And ironically, you can't shoot a bow and arrow either. So. Uh, it's a crazy world that we live in, so that we got to figure out some solutions to some archaic statutes, which I hope we can do in the next session. So there's an example of just last on Friday afternoon, spending a half an hour going over that and learning that yeah. and the issues involved in it that I like going to. I'm 54 years old, 
most guys try to get a small sports car with a convertible at our age. <laughs> and, uh, and I find this to be rewarding, exciting, and always something uh, interesting to learn. Okay. So, Chris, um, you just touched on agriculture on a roundabout way. It's kind of kind of interesting because, and I talk to you on a regular basis, and um, a lot of what you do day in, day out is not the stuff we see on MSNBC or Fox News, right? I mean, you know, there's not a lot of stuff about, about you know, deers and agricultures on MSNBC and, and uh, CNN and Fox News. You know, it's, um, but agriculture is a big part of your district. Talk a little bit about that. Well, it's huge. And uh, when I first started, uh, one of the things I did was got to meet several of the farmers because I knew how important it was. And I think it was really before I even really announced that I got and sat down with them. And one of the women was Sue Gaducci, who's a really hands-on farmer, well-respected woman in Dartmouth who I think uh, everybody listens to. She's one of the, she's like E.F. Hutton, if you can remember from our generation. <laughs> yeah, she speaks, absolutely. everyone listens. Right. And... Um, she taught me a great deal, and um, one of the things actually I can remember discussing was this uh, basically a mobile uh, chicken processing plant or slaughterhouse right. and <laughs> all the regulations that were the problem with it and all the regulations from the federal government to the state level. And eventually, over the course of the last few years, we've been able to get a meat processing place in Westport. And that was really one of the more important things that we've accomplished for the farming industry in this in this area. If you were growing, if you were raising cattle in southeastern Massachusetts, you would have to go up to basically north central Massachusetts or to Connecticut to have the meat processed. Now you can do it right in our own backyard. It's created jobs. It's created convenience for all of the farmers, and um, with a lot of work from private industry and also, with grants from uh, the Department of Ag, uh, it's worked out very well. So, Chris, in, in your 10 years, what it sounds like is you've had to develop a very granular understanding or a very detailed understanding of all of the issues in your district, which includes mostly Dartmouth and, and parts of the North End of New Bedford. Yeah. No, I think what part of it is is that, I mean, first off, I think my experience as a lawyer in the years as someone who's grown up in the area has seen everything um there's still nuances to what's going on in the way the economy grows the way the regulations are set right. um there's always an obstacle for people to meet their potential and that's what i've always said is i think one of the things we really want to do is make sure our citizens uh, are able to reach their potential so chris um Prior, as you mentioned, well, you're, by the way, we're taking your calls too, 508 996 Absolutely. As um, you had a career before you became a legislator, you're now in private practice as an attorney. You were a prosecutor. And one of the things I know, and I'd like you to inform the audience, is you worked with some major high profile cases, um, some really serious stuff, things that you've taken to the legislature with you as lessons because you learned them in the real world before you got there. Talk about some of the big cases you worked on as a prosecutor in Bristol County. Well, I, I was fortunate enough to work full-time when I was in law school. So I was going to law school at nights, and I worked full-time in the DA's office. And ironically, one of the, my mentors and very good friends is Tom Quinn. And uh, Tom picked up the Dartmouth High murder, was one, and I got to be a second seat on that particular case about a month and a, actually it was less than a month that I was a lawyer. 
and he trusted me to do that. And I had been his victim witness advocate before, but I sat at the table. We prepared uh, the case together all the, you know, the weekends before. Um, And eventually I moved my way up to the, to the superior court. Actually, when I was still in the district court, I was on call, which is the, the pager you go out to an unattended death. And my first, uh, second night on it my first week it was i got it on a monday morning and tuesday night there was a page for fall river which is again it was a an execution style murder by two a a known drug user and a drug dealer um and the the i think that's probably the proudest case i had because Typically, you'd have to be on the call for three or four years before you got the case. Right. And uh, the the troopers really liked me. The Fall River police guys really liked me, and they asked my boss if I could stick with the case. And I did. It was New Year's. It was uh, – I went out on the Tuesday night. I had just gone home. I went back out. I didn't come home. That was on December 29th, 1999. I didn't come home until – after now on the thirtieth, I came home at two in the morning. Got up at six on New Year's Eve, and I came home at two in the morning again on New Year's Day. And uh, we got the guy that night, so it was great. That's the stuff. And then, um, pro- and then the other one that I had was um, out of Taunton. It was a murder of a woman in a park holding her grandchild's hand, and it was a murder by a juvenile uh, who broken into a house and stolen a gun. And it was. That's a case where I think uh, was the development really in our office of the whole idea of an audiovisual assistance. And God rest his soul, Mike Verano was a guy who put a camera on a rifle, the way the scope worked, and all that. And we showed that to the jury, and that was a great. That was another great case to have. And then I got the second seat also on the Cater case. That's the highway. That's the um, the one of the murders of a young girl in the Freetown Safe Forest that absolutely ruined oh. my childhood. Right? right. She was found tied to a tree, kidnapped in Raynham. Yeah. Yep. Terrible, terrible case. But you guys eventually got him. That was a big case. Yeah, I think he just died about three or four years ago. There was, it was, that kept coming up. He kept getting retried because it was hypnosis used long before you yep. were involved in the case. Yep. It was a really crazy case. So, Chris, um, we're speaking with State Rep. Chris Markey, and we're taking your calls at 508-996-0500. So, Chris, um, you got a rare slate of endorsements. We talked about this before. You got endorsed by the probably future governor of the Commonwealth, who is a Democrat, and the current governor of Commonwealth, the Oncoming governor of the Commonwealth, who's a Republican. Um, How were you able to secure those endorsements? What do you think it says about you as a legislature? I never asked for them, number one. They approached me and said, would you like like me to endorse? Actually, I shouldn't say that because Governor Baker has not, but I understand his PAC put together a uh, mailing. It's just as good. Some, yeah. That's what counts. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's but, just as good. No, but I think, and then um, Maura, uh, we've been playing text tag, I guess, or whatever, and we've been talking, and we had a great conversation at the feast, and then mm-hmm. shortly thereafter, she said that, uh, I'd like to endorse you, help, you know, put me in touch, I'll put you in touch with the right people, so we talked, and they came up with um, their endorsement. So I'm grateful for that. I think, mm-hmm. it, again, it shows a level of, I, I really don't care to get credit. I don't. I don't want to get credit for things. I don't do the social media stuff that much. Now i got to do it because it's a campaign year. Right. But I really don't. I, I listen to what they have to say, and I know what their ultimate goals are. And if you look at um, 
how Governor Baker has governed. He has governed from the middle, and he's got things done. Not only has he got things done, but he's able to handle crisis yeah. like no one else. Like I, I, I hope someday people have an understanding of how well he did. Um, he had this methodical way in March and April and May of somewhere between 10.30 in the morning and 2 o'clock in the afternoon, there was going to be a press conference. And talking he, about now 2020 during COVID. 20, yes. Yeah. And it was methodical. He would get up. He would say an announcement. He would then have the lieutenant governor come on. Then he would have the secretary come on. And then he would have someone from the private sector or nonprofit come in and say, this is what we're doing. This is how we're doing it. And then he would answer questions. He wasn't glamorous about it. He wasn't trying to make a name for himself. He wasn't going to get an Emmy. He was just doing his job. Right. And I I would text him every couple weeks and just do the attaboy thing. You're doing a great job. I know it's hard. All the pressures from different ways. And um, when he was down here last year, he came up to me, put his arm around me, and he just said, I, uh, I really appreciate those texts. It means a lot to me. Oh. And it's developing those relationships where you have something to offer some experiences to offer to help them but in addition they respect your honesty and your sincerity and know that you're doing it for all the right reasons and i think morris sees that in me as well so you don't agree i don't agree with governor baker and i don't agree with attorney general healy on everything i don't agree with my parents on everything i don't agree with my siblings my <laughs> wife my kids but that's yeah i respect them so I think that's the difference is I'm not going to showboat. I'm not going to spot them. I'm not going to embarrass them. That's not the way I operate. I'd rather have a real conversation as adults and talk that way. 508-996-0500. Let's go to the phones. Good evening. You're live with Rep. Markey. Hi there. This is Kathy Souza. Um, Rep. Markey speaks a lot about, you know, listening to your residents and protecting your residents. I'm a resident of Somerset, Mass., where you were the attorney for Commercial Development Corporation. And you're an attorney who stood at every single meeting trying to cram scrap metal down the throats of the Somerset residents. Thank God um, it wasn't Dartmouth, were... right? <laughs> <laughs> Thank God it wasn't Dartmouth, right? <laughs> right? So I'm just wondering, did you follow the land court case? And do you see that the residents ultimately won against Commercial Development Corporation, who you defended? I, I believe I defended them in relation to a zoning issue and allowing uh, certain businesses a salt business and a um scrap metal business to be able to work there I, again it was about negotiating and going over it with the town as as well as uh listening to the citizens and uh, i listened to everybody and but i don't make the ultimate call it was the zoning board that made the call so i was an advocate the same way i do at the state house so i appreciate the call just to um to clarify that was in your role as a private attorney not as a state representative Correct. Okay. Um, so it's a constant battle at the State House um, between the interests of the taxpayers, the, the legitimate interests of of, um, of public service, right? You have, you have things we have to pay for. We don't want to pay for everything. You have taxpayers out there. You are a taxpayer. So talk about the day-to-day calculation that you have to make during budget season for what we can afford and what we can't afford, quite frankly. Well, I think there's several parts to how you develop a budget, right? You you deal with the operational costs and all that thing. You also deal with crisis. And we've had a lot of that 
since I've been there. Early on, it was coming back from a huge recession that lasted several years. Mm-hmm. And we saw how we changed the state um, health care system for allowing in municipalities to the GIC. That was a huge, huge obstacle for a lot of towns that were spending a lot of money Absolutely. on health care. And the unions were very much against it. And now I don't think you're hearing the unions complain about it. But they were concerned about it and losing uh, collective bargaining rights and all of that. But in the end, it has saved not not tens of millions of dollars or you know a few million dollars here and there throughout the state. But it's hundreds of millions of dollars that towns themselves have saved. And that hundreds of millions of dollars that towns have saved now can go to something else. Right. It can go to pay raises. It can go to better parks it can go to cleaning the environment it can go to all these things that you see that we've done uh if i just think what would we have where would we be if we didn't have the pandemic we were from 2015 16 17 18 and 19 we were we were on fire in massachusetts we were doing all the right things so you know i i think that that's part of the the equation is is making sure that the taxpayer is compensated is some rate of return whether it be in better roads whether it be in investments like the south coast rail whether it be public investments for so that private investment comes in such as offshore wind which is again that's not that's not something that happens is overnight it happens for a decade and you see the investments that governor patrick made 10 years ago into this and this idea and i think you have to take and be patient and see those things develop and now you see how big oil is now behind offshore wind because they see that that's the future. Right. That's why you see car industry getting into electric cars. They see the money in it. They see the future in it because of the investments the government has made in that type of uh, industry. So that's what I keep looking at is long-term investments, making sure we're reacting to crises that occur, and then also maintaining what works and reviewing what doesn't work. We're going to take a break. We'll be back uh, with Representative Chris Markey and taking your calls at 508-996-0500. New Bedford's News Talk Station. South Coast tonight, Marcus Farrow and I, Chris McCarthy. We have State Representative Democrat uh, Chris Markey in office, in, who's in office, let you stay in office. And uh, he's here in studio with us this, this afternoon. He's taking your calls at 508-996-0500. Now, um, Chris, you, you started talking about um, uh, the electric cars and and wind power things like that we are now going to transition to electric cars here in massachusetts that's the plan right from the legislature i think it's 2035 is the goal um are we going to be ready for that you think by 2035 and what's your plan for us no i I hope we would be i hope it would work i think you need to have those goals especially when you got 160 people in the house and 40 in the senate where you need to set goals for them and keep them focused on one or two things okay. like that because it is it's altering the economy right well, the, one of the biggest things about it is is how do we how do we maintain our roads right when we, no gas tax when, they get, when there's no gas tax and the and the funding for a lot of our roads is based upon a trust fund for that so that's one of the things that i i look at and i say okay what are we going to do to be able to do that right and uh like and I think one of the things that we can do is also is, again, that's being flexible and being nimble as a legislator. And when you look at how we conduct ourselves in the tax policy, it falls on us. 
It doesn't fall on a constitutional amendment. It doesn't fall on anybody else but us. And that's a responsibility that we get elected for, and every year we take a tax vote. As much as people don't think we take a tax vote, every year we take a tax vote because every year we're setting the tax rate. And it says it in the Constitution that the House of Representatives shall be the beginning of all money bills. And that's the way it should be, that we're responsible to the people for their money. We're taking their money, and we're going to spend it. And we need to let them know how much we're going to take. So that's why I'm a big believer that we need to find ways to to to, uh, to maintain our revenue. And one is is I've passed I've filed a bill for uh, a 5.3 tax. Right now it's 5.0, uh, a little bit above it. But that's the idea. Where when we were been had it for 5.3 for years, and I think that that's a reasonable thing when you can take an earned income tax credit for people who are making less than, say, $75,000 okay. and have them not pay for a family of four or whatever it is. <clears throat> and we can then increase our taxes on people who are making a lot more money. So I think it works, um, but we are going to have to find ways to deal with it um, as our roads uh, deteriorate and we see in our bridges. So one of the things that we're – looking forward to and it's not the panacea but we do have the there, train that, there's that word, there's that word again i do that it. i do that to make marcus drink marcus has to drink every time although he doesn't drink but no anyway, i don't but just to say drink water every time <laughs> I, someone says panacea but you know the, the fact of the matter is that you've been there since not quite at the start of the fight for the train but you've been there as, as it's been moving along and um it's been a real slog and a real amount of discipline and, and, and a, a real fight for this legislative delegation to finally get what is going to now come to fruition, a train line from here to Boston. There's two people to thank for that. Okay. Yourself? Nope. <laughs> I'm not. See, Marcus. <laughs> Marcus, that's not me. <laughs> Bill Strauss and Charlie Baker. Yeah. Those are the two reasons why that's happening. Yeah. And that's why it's happening in this decade and not in two decades from now, which it probably would have happened if we continued on the path of which it was before. The two of them, uh, from my understanding of it, had a, had a very productive meeting as a result of both of them reviewing engineering reports okay. and discussing how it is possible to do that and making some minor adjustments. One of the probably, it's, a, not, it's probably one of the more major adjustments to make it happen is moving the Middleborough train station up about a quarter of a mile from where it is because right before it there's a bend if we didn't have if we didn't move it the train would have to go up and then back into the middle borough and then right. out. so now it's just going to keep going so that's one factor and then up at uh where the we call them the gas tanks in dorchester right. where they yeah. are um there were there's a narrow area and Long term, we believe that we'll be able to in the and the state has rights to certain property that they didn't think they did. Okay, and that was the linchpin for it. And again, it's a governor who is practical, is looking at what's what's best for everybody, and looking how our population is growing in Massachusetts, and knowing that it's expanding out of Boston, and knowing that there's potential for incredible growth down here. They know there's a need for the commuter rail from Fall River and New Bedford. And I think that, again, putting all egos aside and having a sit-down and a conversation about that is how things get done. It's not standing up and screaming and yelling and being a cheerleader. Right. That's not what it does. It's sitting down and having a rational conversation with someone without name-calling, without doing all these other things, 
where you build up that reservoir of trust and you can have those real conversations to get things done. So we're speaking with Chris um, Markey, who's a representative from Dartmouth and a portion of New Bedford. So, Chris, one of the things that um, we, th- we thought was pretty remarkable when uh, John Mitchell was here one day, he was talking about wind, but he was talking about the competition that is existence, yeah. that exists between communities and between elected officials uh, over resources, right? You've said it to me before in off-the-record conversations about life at the State House. This isn't a kid's game. This is a competition every day, right, between your district and everyone else's district. Oh, it is. It is. It's a matter of you, you. There are certain things that you know you need to make sure are not destroyed in your district. <laughs> things that you know yeah. that aren't going to be chipped away at your district, and those are <clears throat> like the, you know, they're behind the big Chinese wall, right? Like right. they're not. No one is going to mess with them. The fortress is there. You're not going to mess with them. The other stuff. You know, you may be able to help others get things that they need right. for the area or for even not even in the area, but somewhere else okay. where you share an interest. And again, it's a matter of making those relationships, sharing those experiences to be able to, to get that. But in order to have that, you have to have that reservoir of trust. Sure. And I think, again, people don't agree with me up, up there on things, but I, I can honestly say I think they listen to what I have to say. Okay. And it may alter certain things slightly here and there to make it uh, make it palatable for most of the people. One of the um, um, big issues that really is happening, and it's good, it's good for the economy, it's, it, but it's traffic. I mean, traffic, particularly in Dartmouth, yeah. uh, where you are, there's been... S- there have been some changes over the years. I'm thinking Fonts Corner Road, things like that. But there's going to be more traffic in the future. And it, it's... A very big deal. It's something you can impact. I I am very frustrated with its with, with the Fonts Corner Road area to have that traffic, particularly in the evening hours uh, with the the crossover of Route Six. However, it compares to I, as you know, I picked up Ward One precincts D, E, and F, and the Braley Road exit is obscene. That is yep. that is. By far the worst. And when you walk through the neighborhood of Briarwood and you go down Cottonwood and you talk to the people and they say, yeah, the school bus has come down the street. I'm like, the school bus has come down here to get into the school, which is two blocks away, so that they could turn the correct way. That is insane. And I've gone up now probably a half dozen times during the school times when I found out I was going to pick up this district. And then also during the summer. And I cannot believe the traffic that exists there, and we need to do something about it. I know one of the things that I want to try to do is to deal with making entrance into uh, Ash uh, from Cushion Avenue on into the Pulaski School. Right. So that's that. I mean, it's. I don't recommend anyone from Dartmouth going up there, but you'll have an appreciation <laughs> for all the successes we've had on Route Six so far, and we'll get better at it. You're giving up. Um well, it's not you didn't choose to do this, but you're giving up parts of Ward Three that you represented for the last ten years uh, in your district. What's some of the work you did uh, over in that ward? Because there's a lot of activity going going on there. Yeah, so it's funny um, when I the first four years I was out there, I think there was you know the governor or someone would come down and have a big 
I call them dog and pony shows, and they do all this stuff. There was one that we had in literally in my little corner district, and that was um, the uh, Haskell Farm, and we had something there. And I just remember that as saying, this is the first time I'm actually in my district in New Bedford right. for that. Right. And then obviously the Wheeling City Golf Course, of course. is the biggest thing. And again, you know, people say, "Oh, you take for it. people the, the advanced manufacturing uh, campus, which is going to add, ma- keep maintain the golf course, but also add uh, an entirely new um, industrial business park." But if you look at again, you have to understand what New Bedford is. It's, it's thirteen miles by a mile and a half, two miles at its widest point. I probably knew that when I was eight years old because right. my right. father and I had my aunt. My aunt and uncle lived on uh, Pine Hill Acres, and we used to think it was like the longest ride in the world going to the north end of New Bedford. <laughs> um, but I, I think that that is really that project is so important for the tax base. We need to have more private industry here. Go up and down William Street, Union Street, Eighth Street, Spring Street. See how many nonprofits there are in downtown New Bedford. They don't pay taxes, right? Most towns, most cities have a, a, a downtown. They have all of these businesses owned or uh, properties are owned by um, private people. And in New Bedford, it doesn't happen that way. So we need to expand the tax base as best we can to keep the taxes under control in, in New Bedford. And I think what John Mitchell has done to get that done has uh, been very good and really pushing for that and we got that senator montigny and i got that through the house and the senate uh, making sure that that home rule petition got through last year and one of the things is in the past when it was when it was just the golf course and they wanted to do it for casino gambling that same house rule house rule petition failed yeah you know so it's not a slam dunk when you bring up something like that is it no it's not and again it's Making sure people – and again, this is the other part about it is, right, you're taking away rec land, right? That's a huge thing. That's open space. Right. And you're taking away that. And when you can when you can find a solution to it, again, the solution was in Dartmouth. Dartmouth um, s- signed on to a conservation restriction with the DNRT to make sure that that land will be conser- uh, out behind uh, Chase Road off of Woodcock Road. Uh, is going to be preserved and conserved for uh, generations in the future. And that's what – essentially was the trade-off between that was owned by the city previously right and again working with the selectmen getting the the mayor's office involved with the select board and talking to them getting the dnrt those are all things that happen again being behind the scenes and trying to make those things happen and having typical conversations with everybody uh with the the call and just saying hey what do you think about this and it all worked out and i'm grateful for it 508 996 so you can get on with Rip Mark. You better take a break. We'll be right back. This is South Coast Night with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrell. Listen to us live. Back to South Coast tonight. 508-996-0500 is how you can get on the, on the line with us. Let's go back to the phones. Good evening. You're live. Good evening, gentlemen. Uh, this is Hank Turgeon calling from uh, New Bedford Police Union President. Hey, Hank. Hey, Hank. Just want to call in and... and thank uh, our representative for running again he uh i can say he was one of the most balanced elected officials that i had the opportunity of working with in my tenure as a union president he we were friends years before that we kind of grew up in some of the same circles and 
Um, we've had our, our backs and forths on some issues, especially when it came to police reform. But Chris called called me on a regular basis. He kept in touch, and um, he was extremely level-headed through, throughout the whole process, and I really appreciate him for that. So that's uh, that would be an easy vote for me. So, Hank, did you get everything you wanted from him when you demanded it? <laughs> no, not at all. That's, that's what I mean. He's one of the most he's one of the most level-headed guys out there, and he he, he definitely explained his positions and. You know, when you're, when you're sitting in your seat, you're looking at it from your uh, perspective, and you're arguing for what you want, for you, what your members want, um, he has the ability to come in and explain why you kind of have to take yourself out of that role and, and see how other people are looking at it and why he has to take the stances that he had to take. And I, and I fully understood it, and, and I support him. And like I said, uh, that would be an easy vote for me. Hey, Hank, thanks. thanks so much for the call. We appreciate it. Um, 508 is how you can get on. So, Chris, um, I asked your opponent this um, question, and um, so I, I saw you at the Scarlet meeting, so I don't have to ask you who you were there. I, I, I saw you there, and you gave a very impassioned, knowledgeable speech um, at that meeting, and it, and it was really important. Talk about the fishing industry, specifically your role at that meeting that night on the Scallop industry. What, what, how important it is, and what are you looking to do? Oh, I'm looking to do something. I'm not looking to set up anything or do anything. Committees, we, like, you know, there's one thing about New Bedford that New Bedford can be incredibly proud of. It's the independent ingenuity of the fishing industry. Those guys have gumption. Right. They know what they're doing. They know their business. They know everything about it. And when they started to discuss this idea of piling on permits and being able to uh, have more permits for one or two individuals, it became frightening because we saw what happened um, with the Carlos thing. There's the potential for something horrible to happen. The other part about it is it doesn't allow for diversification. And the diversification is incredibly important for to maintain our economy. If you put all of the permits on one boat, um, uh, can use it on two or three boats, four or five permits, you're going to allow one boat owner to have two full-time employees as welders. You're going to have two engineers. You're going to have two painters. Right. You're not going to have six or seven companies on the waterfront being able to do those things. Right. That diversification is so important to New Bedford that it would not be able to produce the way it's producing now. Um, it would make people, very few people, super rich. Right, right. And you think about it. There could be one, one supplier of oil, one supplier of fuel, one supplier of all the, the, um, the food. Right. Or one supplier of all of that. Yeah. Right. It would be one person if they had all those boats going out. That would that's what would happen. Right. And then you also have to look at it as they would be maintaining fewer boats so less people would be working as engineers and all of that. Five oh eight nine and six oh five hundred. One more break for the hour and then we'll be back with Representative Chris Markey. Tonight, I'm Chris McCarthy. Of course, Marcus Farrow, as always, is with us. And we have Representative Chris Markey of Dartmouth and New Bedford, not Somerset. Um, so, <laughs> so Chris, you have um, obviously have a good, good rearview mirror. You've seen a lot in the years you've been there. What do you see on the horizon? You're going to have a new governor. Um, 
you'll have some new elected officials at at the at the statewide level. Um, what do you anticipate as far as issues, things like that? That you're, what are you looking for in the future? I, I think there's probably a few things to look at. You got to look at one is um, how the Supreme Court deals with some issues that are shocking that we're dealing with. Okay. Um, the fact that uh, there's hints at it with Justice Thomas's con- concurring opinion on the Dobbs case about interracial oh. marriage. Oh. In- inv- inviting those. He-, he left out Loving v. Virginia, but he-, he's- he-, he put in gay marriage and some other... Uh, and contraception, Griswold yes. and uh, Loving. And uh, it's, it is something that I think the states are going to have to deal with. If yeah. there's ever a constitutional amendment for something with individual rights, that's probably it, not uh, tax policy and other things. Those those are going to be in the uh, – those should be in the Constitution. Um, so I think that's one thing to, to concern ourselves with. The other thing is, is I think as I look at it is – and I've said it a long time ago, but I think we should start really considering semi-retirement for some public employees who are older. Okay. And I, the reason why is you, we saw a whole bunch of people leave and a whole bunch of people. And I and I believe that a lot of them are going to come back. So they saw, hey, I can get by right now uh, post-COVID a little bit or I don't want to go back to work. I was enjoying the way I was living my life during right. that very in an individual way. I think in three or four years you're going to see an increase of people wanting to come back to work. Okay. We've got to find a way to get them back in. Okay. I think they they have an incredible value to our system, and they can teach a lot of young people. You talk to anyone who's in the, the service business, you talk to people who are um, plumber in the, in the trades, they're desperately looking for people to hire. Yes. And that's a real concern for me, which I think we can I – mean, I could spend an hour on talking about New Bedford Vogue. Their successes at Vogue have caused the problems, a significant amount of problems at New Bedford High. Really? Yeah, because the people who do not do well academically are still stuck in the academic world of New Bedford High and not working on their 